The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. I don't know if you all saw it yesterday, but in theaters across America was a movie yesterday about C.S. Lewis. And it actually was shown earlier in November and then repeated over the weekend, and it was called The Most Reluctant Convert. It was a I haven't seen it. I looked at the trailer, and it looked wonderful, and I, I want to see it at my earliest possible convenience. But C.S. Lewis became convinced that the Bible is the Word of God for several reasons. But one of the reasons that C.S. Lewis became convinced in the authenticity of Scripture was the way that it mentioned dates and people and historical circumstances. And he was talking about how um, Greek mythology is nothing like the Bible. He says you've got, you know, Zeus and Osiris born who knows when, who knows where, to Jesus crucified under Pontius Pilate. And in the that day, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And Lewis said it's all very a specific time, a specific place, a specific set of historical circumstances. And it was that historicity that caused Lewis to believe in the Bible. Well, in Zechariah, in the Old Testament, we get this again. And in a moment, I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 1, and you're going to see that yet again, the Word of God shows how meticulously accurate, specific, down to the minutia, how true, how forthright, how accurate the Word of God is. And we'll get there in a moment, but I want to welcome you to Exploring the Word. My name is Alex McFarland. With me is Bert Harper, and we're in the Old Testament. And, you know, Bert, of the the minor prophets, quote-unquote, Zechariah is one of the more longer of what they call the minor prophets, isn't he? It is, 14 chapters, and it's divided up. I, I just, I mean, it was so great the way it lists there, and it does make sense, and it helps you understand the first uh, few chapters through chapter 6. There's eight visions, and then seven uh, and eight are four messages, the Word of God, and then the latter chapters is two burdens. And honestly, taking the messages as the Word of God came to him, you have all three of those venues used in Zechariah's uh, book. In other words, uh, they'd get a vision from God, they'd get a word from God, and there'd be a burden placed on them by God. And with Zechariah, Alex, you get all three. Well, you do, and, and that's, that's just, um, you know, there, there's an order, even though, you know, to our modern ears and eyes, you know, reading the Old Testament, sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge, but you see these big picture writers that get a word from God, and they'll, they'll be a, an observation, there'll be a, a condemnation, there'll be a warning of judgment, but very often a promise of redemption if people would turn to God. And uh, you know what? I, I want to read the first two verses of Zechariah, and again, showing how meticulously careful and accurate. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, okay, so you've got context here, a person, a time, a place, but uh, verse 2 could be said for a lot of cultures throughout history, and I think with the USA Today probably, the Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. <laughs> Bert, we, we don't want the Lord to be sore, S-O-R-E, that means very. We don't want the Lord to be sore displeased with us, do we? We do not. Now, the good part of that is your fathers. With that said, that means you have an opportunity to turn that around, and that's exactly what follows in verse 3. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me says the Lord of hosts. I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord is doing this. He's aggressive in desiring them to turn to him. And, and I think that's true. God is assertive. He's aggressive in his desire for us to be with him. Uh, over in the book of Revelation, when he's talking about the Revelation, the seven churches there, uh, he would use those, re those times of 
repenting, remembering, and returning. And when I see that about your father's, he was angry, uh, that means some repentance needs to take place. And, and that return, return unto me. And so Alex, Zechariah has a word for people. Now, most of the prophets has, honestly, more warning than they do the hope. But in Zechariah, uh, you get more. It's, the only way I know how to say it, it's more positive. Uh, his language, it is, it is harsh sometimes, but it's always filled with hope, interspersed all the way through it. And then all the way through this book, you'll find references to the Messiah that's coming. In Zechariah, um, now Isaiah has more than he but I'm telling you, for these 14 chapters, there is a lot of references to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, Alex. Well, well, ex- exactly. And have you ever read in any of the commentaries about how um, Zechariah is in some ways a little bit similar to, to Haggai? Well, they, they were contemporaries. They think Zechariah was a younger guy. Haggai was yeah. older, and but he comes along younger. He was probably born in Babylon as best they can do, and he returned early on, maybe is in a twenty-year-old, and and started sharing. He he would be the young preacher of the prophets, and uh, yes, he and they are talking about the temple being rebuilt. They had come in, and we talked about this last Thursday, how they had delayed it. And Zechariah, Haggai just pours it on them, says, you shouldn't do this. You, yeah, I know. Zechariah comes along and says, if you'll do this, you're building for the future. You know, that's what I meant. His is a little bit different than Haggai's and others in the condemnation. He he puts the hope in. He says, you're, when you build this temple, you're building it for God to fill it. You're building it for future generations. He really gives us gives them a motive for building the temple. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you know, here's a warning. And I know we've got to go quickly, even though this is one of the longer of the minor prophets. And again, you know, when we say major prophets, minor prophets, it, it's just the length of the book. It doesn't mean of less significance or anything like that. But verse four says, "Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried." saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, says the Lord. They didn't listen to God. Um, He's saying, Hey, I'm not the first to cry out to my generation. The prophets of old cried out to your fathers and ancestors. Uh, They didn't listen. Don't don't be like that. Verse 5, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I command my servants, the prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? Hey, Bert, you read in verse 6, the words took hold of some people. Don't you want the word of God to take hold of you? You know, before the show, you and I were talking a little bit about Third John, which I was studying over the weekend, and there's a line in Third John verse 7, it says, they went forth for his name's sake. That's got to be the everything that motivates us. We go forth for his name's sake, for the name of the Lord, for the word of the Lord, the message of the Lord. Uh, we want the word of God to take hold of us because in the word of God, we find Jesus, the son of God. And that's the only thing that's going to last, isn't it? The um, even the prophets live and die; they go away. Our ancestors, beloved as they may be, but the word of God is what stands forever. If you will take hold of the word, the word will take hold of you. That is the whole truth. Amen. The word of God does go forth, and God sends it forth to accomplish what He sends it to do. And what He is using the word of God is to change our lives, to change our direction. He completely does that as the word of God is proclaimed, as it works its way into our lives, and then the results works its way out of our lives so they can see our good works and glorify the Father. So let the Word of God take hold of the Word so the Word can take hold of you. And, and Alex, again, this, this is the chapter uh, one. It's the introduction. It's kind of like repentance. This is what it is, and, and th- this is what you need to do, and this is how it works out. You was talking about the dates. Look at verse 7. On the 24th I know, I was going to say. Yeah, he does it again. 
he does it again and again and again, even in chapter 7, to make sure we get to that. It says, Now in the fourth year of King Darius it came to pass the word of the Lord on the fourth day of the ninth month. Again, very specific, like you said, C.S. Lewis. And we can know these dates. And and so here it is, and he gives the same people, and it's Berchiah, who was a historical figure, Edu, the prophet, a historical figure, and these kings, each one of these are documented, and, and it's not like the fables, and it's not like the, the fake stories of the gods of the Greeks and the Romans. These are real people with real yeah. dates, with real lives, and with real visions from the Lord. And notice what he says in verse 8, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He he is specific. That's the first of the visions. Uh and, and again, I said, my Lord, are these, uh, who, what are these? These are, I love, and I want you to, I'll throw it back to you. Don't you love the commentary, the conversation between the vision, Zechariah, and the angel that was giving him I that know. vision? There's a conversation uh, going on, and it's recorded for us. Well, you know, in the first six chapters, okay, there's going to be visions of horses and riders, horns, a surveyor and a measuring line, uh, a battle with Satan. Um, It's going to sound a little bit like the book of Revelation about a lampstand and seven lights, a flying scroll and a warning, a woman and a basket, chariots and judgment. And it, it is interesting, like you say, that this angel sort of gives commentary and helps him understand, hey, I've got to ask you this, John the Apostle, uh, who was the last living disciple, you know, John the Apostle would call himself the elder, because he was the older guy, the last living apostle. Um, You read the book of Revelation, and I know the Holy Spirit gave all these words, I know that. But don't you think John the Apostle was acquainted with the Old Testament book of Zechariah Burke? I believe it with all my heart. They're so, I could not help. I read the book of Zechariah. I read it earlier today, and I read it, and I said, man, this calls so much of the book of Revelation. I already referred to it one time about the return, and you get to the four horses, and you get to the four horns, which represent Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And, and these are the ones he's, he's diving in and notice the terminology here, the angel of the Lord and angel being in capital letters. Uh, that usually means the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think that's possible or likely? Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know what? Uh, once in a, in a commentary, I read this, Bert, it said that, um, because you know, the, the new Testament books quote the old Testament so many times. In fact, the book of revelation quotes or references the Old Testament like 300 times, and somebody said that the Old Testament is the background music to the New Testament. <laughs> That's good. And I believe what, what they meant by that was that, you know, you to fully get your hands on the New Testament, you really have to understand some of these big, broad themes of the Old Testament. The Old Testament would be incomplete without the New Testament, and the New Testament would not have the foundation that it does without the Old Testament. But when you put them together and you see them, uh, as Paul said in Corinthians, he said, these were given for our examples, talking about the Old Testament. And out of them, we build in what we know about Christ, but also what we know about ourselves. Hey, this is Exploring the Word on the American Family Family Radio Network. And we'll be back with more on the book of Zechariah right after this break. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Rob Chapman, Acting Director at the U.S. Department of Justice in the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services. He oversees training and technical assistance and manages resources and publications portfolios. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 reminds us of the importance of law and order. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Rob Chapman and his role at the Department of Justice. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, 
nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says that while we're asking God for more and more blessings, we don't realize how much He's already given us. You'll want to turn to Ephesians 1-3 as we spend two minutes with Tony. Randolph Hearst was a newspaper mogul, and he was an art collector, and he loved to collect just very expensive art. He ran across an art piece that really caught his attention, and he wanted the original. He sent his servant out to find the original art piece. His servant went all over the world to find this original art piece. After many months of searching for it, he came back to Randolph Hearst and said, I was not able to locate the original art piece. I am so sorry. Weeks later, he ran across the art piece that he had been going all around the world to find. Randolph Hearst already had it in his basement. He just didn't know it was there. Many of us are going all over the place looking for answers. Many of us are spending a lot of time and a lot of money trying to fix stuff. When God wants you to know what you're looking for, you already have in heavenly places. So he wants your eyes to be open. He wants our eyes to be open. Why? Because if you don't have spiritually clear sight, God is doing stuff that you don't see because it's been clouded over by the human approach to life, by secular thinking and human wisdom. Learn how prayer can be a two-way conversation that sharpens your spiritual eyesight. Check out Tony's CD series, Igniting Kingdom Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. American Family Radio. When you die, are you going to heaven or not? You can know for sure. Heaven or not. Dot net. This is Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Everybody here looking for revival in our own hearts and across the land. Everybody looking for revival. Lift up your voice and say amen. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. We're in the book of Zechariah. And I, I'm, uh, Alex and I, we've been doing one day for these books, but Zechariah and Malachi, they're so filled. And because of the way the week falls, we're going to spend two days in Zechariah. So we're going to keep looking at, at some of these visions and what they say. And then tomorrow, you don't want to miss tomorrow, we're going to look at the Messianic promises that are in Zechariah. We may mention one or two today. But Alex, you know I'm looking for things that are repeated Listen yeah. to the things. I know. The, listen to it. Notice what it says in chapter 1, verse 9. My Lord, what are these? That's a good question. Verse 19 mm -hmm. of that same chapter. What are these? Verse 21. What are these coming to do? Uh, so many times. And, and again, he, he asks these questions, and he's not through. It kind of changes the question in chapter 4, verse, one, uh, verse 2. What do you see? And then chapter 5, verse 2, what do you see? And then he goes back in chapter 6, what are these, my Lord? And and so I, I want to ask you this, Alex, and this is connected but different. What's the value of good questions? Oh, uh, they're of immense value because good questions can lead you to good answers and, and solid understanding. And... Um, Sometimes as a teacher, and I know you're a pastor and a preacher and a teacher, and sometimes we um, do all that we can do to help people ask good questions. And there are some, some good questions and there's some great questions, but having that inquisitive mind and being teachable 
I mean, that's how we grow, isn't it? It is. And I, the reason I noticed that is because Zechariah is, is seeing these visions, and they're a little bit unclear. So he said, I need clarification. And that is awesome that you need clarification. You remember Jesus in the New Testament? He would give them a parable, and sometimes it would just go straight over the apostle's head, and he would take them aside and explain the parable exactly what it meant. And we have that recorded in Scripture. Some of them we don't have the complete thing. But here we find out Zechariah asking these questions from the visions that God gave, and and you've already mentioned several, but I wanted to look real at chapter two, the measuring line. Oh boy. Listen. Hey, can I say one thing? Go right ahead. Yes. Go right ahead. Periodically we'll have people ask, um, why, why do things happen the way they do? See questions. And let me say the Bible has answers and, and the Lord Jesus is the answer. And what is wrong with the world? Sin and Christ rose from the dead. But you remember back in Ezekiel, where God asked Ezekiel, "Will can these bones live?" And Ezekiel says, "Lord, sovereign Lord, only you know." See, even in life, there are questions. Why did this not happen? We prayed. Why didn't it go the way I thought it might? Uh, we didn't see this or that coming. Oftentimes, we learn things about God. We experience His faithfulness. We are stretched. We go to places we never otherwise would have gone because God lets us process a season of questions. Amen. And listen, if you're a new believer, you'll have to learn to deal with some questions. here, And those questions, they shouldn't lead you away. They'll lead you to Christ. And uh, the Bible says avoid certain quiet kind of questions, foolish and, and and those based upon fables, avoid those foolish questions. There's no need of asking those foolish questions. But ask great legitimate questions. And notice I left one of the questions out uh, that he asked in chapter 2, verse 2. Where mm. are you going? This is the measuring line. And he says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to go measure Jerusalem. I've got plans. A measuring line is made up for plans. And uh, notice it's filled with it. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Alex, Mm. that got my attention. Uh, The Bible made it plain when God called Jerusalem that if you would bless Abraham and his descendants, you'd be blessed. If you cursed them, you would be cursed. Here he says, For he who touches you touches the apple of God's eye. Uh, oh, my goodness. The nation yes. of Israel, how important they are. Now, I'll say this. We as believers, we haven't replaced Israel in future. But far as God using us like he wanted to use Israel in that day as missionaries, as people that would carry out the word of God, the church is that people today, the God, the, the people God uses to carry out his message, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we are his people. And so verse 10 says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I'm coming, I'll dwell in your midst. Alex, is that not beautiful? I'll dwell in your midst. It will. It really is beautiful. It really is beautiful. And you know what? Hey, like you alluded to there in, um, the, the verse where it says in verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8, that Israel is the apple of his eye. Okay, I was looking up Psalm 17, uh, 8. Uh, it talks about the loving kindness of God. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Now, there's Israel and there's the church, and the church is not Israel. Israel is Israel. But God has plans for Israel. But do you know what? We who are grafted in... We who are adopted as sons, Galatians 6, 16, we, the born-again believers in Jesus, we become the Israel of God. We, too, are the apple of his eye, Bert. Amen. Amen. That's why, let me just say, countries, political leaders, uh, political regimes, you want to get on the wrong side of God, you attack Israel, you attack the church. Let me tell you, um, the Lord Almighty has a lot to say in his word, 
about his care for Israel and his preservation of the church. Bert, am I right? You are right on. Even to speak to that, verse 12, that's the reason I said this measuring line has so much in it. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. He chose Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a chosen city. Israel is a chosen people. We, in our day, as followers of Jesus Christ, the church, we are a chosen people. Does he choose it to leave others out? No, he chooses it so that we will be missional, so that we will be the ministers God wants us to be. Like it says in the New Testament, that they might see our good works and glorify the Father. Alex, I've said this, and I love to say it. I I love geography, as I made great grades in geography because I was so interested in it. But, you know, look where God placed this nation. He placed them basically where three continents meet. You have Mm. uh, Europe, you have Asia, and Africa, and you have the Mediterranean Sea so that you don't go from one but they usually go through that strip of land, or at least part of it, that God designated them to have so that when people were passing through, they'd say, man, when you go through there, they really know how to treat a guy. When you go through there, you get an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. When you pay for something there, you get quality. You know, mm. they were to be yep. the people of God showing the character of God. We're to be that today as the church. We are people should see our character and who we are and know that we love him. Alex, uh, what a missional statement this is. Well, it is. It is. And, and you know, let me just say this. God is not done with Israel. And uh, do you remember Psalm 48 talking about Jerusalem? And it said, I, when I was a little boy, Bert, this just so intrigued me. The wording of Psalm 48, too, speaking of Israel and Jerusalem, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the city of the great king on the sides of the north, the city of the king. And that's why, you know, let me just say this, and, and I know we got to move on. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got an engine I'm going to rebuild one of these days. And it, it's supposed to go in an old Mustang or a Falcon. I don't know if I'll ever get to it, but I've carried it around for 20 years because one of these days I'm going to get some time, I'm going to rebuild this motor. And uh, that's I like to turn wrenches, Bert. That's another <laughs> hobby. I, I just want to see either one, a Falcon or a Mustang, which one you put it in. I want to see oh, it after you do it. Yes. And, you know, to anybody else, it just looks like a rusty hunk of junk that's probably been in my tool shed everywhere Angie and I have lived for 20 years plus. But it's special, and one day I've got plans for it. That's how it is with the nation of Israel. I mean, political leaders might be dismissive and things like that. Hey, let me tell you something. God loves Israel, and he's got plans for it, doesn't he? He does. And, again, I, I want to move through this. Chapter 4, we got to get to it. And again, yes. it's the lamp stem, the olive trees, but look down in verse 6 and 7. I want to read it, and you can add to it of what's above it and behind it, but listen to this. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by mm-hmm. my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who, you, who are you, O great verse. mountain? Yes, before Zerubbabel, you was become a plain and he shall bring forth a capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, again, some messianic there, I understand that, but the things that get to me is that not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Alex, uh, we need to understand, you put the word of God out with the spirit of God, I want to tell you, it is, I, I think it's the most powerful thing on earth. The Word of God well, moving with the Spirit of God. It changes amen. lives, brother. Well, Old and New Testaments, many songs and hymns use this wording, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And uh, it, it also takes me to uh, verse 10 of chapter 4. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. Um Bert, I'm sure you've heard people talk about, people preach on despise not small beginnings. Right. Um, God is able to take, and look, it's our obedience and it's our faithfulness, small things. 
You know, I, I think about some of the world's great ministries like AFA. They were started in the heart and the obedience of one person. And, I mean, look, look at even AFA, AFR, The Journal, Engage, um, American Family Films. It was 45, 50 years ago, it was a small beginning, but look at it now. And so uh, that's another famous verse, Zechariah 4.10, uh, referencing when something small has the hand of God and the power of God on it, it grows and grows and grows. Okay, then I answered and I said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said to him, What be these two olive branches through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, not my Lord. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's talk about this because in a way, uh, very messianic, isn't it? Um, but the number two is very significant in Scripture. Bert, you know, you and I have talked about the famous book by E.W. Bullinger about numbers in Scripture. You know, um, there's there's a lot of two-ness, T-W-O, to the gospel. There's Christ, the suffering Savior, but there's Christ, the victorious conquering King. There's John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, not the Messiah, and there's Jesus. There's the church in Israel. Bert, um, when you see the number two referenced in Scripture, a whole lot of things come to mind, don't they? They do. One that comes to mind, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Again, yes. there's Jesus would send them out two by two, uh, accountability, encouragement, the whole idea of those two and it being there. But notice what it is. It says they are the anointed ones. Uh, the oil has been poured and they stand before the Lord of the whole earth, the declaration of God, the creator, the redeemer. Alex, I, I believe it brings, you're talking about two, creator, redeemer. I believe in 14 mm -hmm. you have that, you know, the anointed yes, ones yes. who stands beside the Lord of the whole earth, re, the whole creation, the, the, but the uh, very idea of redemption. Well, I know, and in fact, i got to tell you, if you preach the latter half of Zechariah 4, I mean, you could really preach a, an evangelistic sermon um, because it talks about the eyes of the Lord running to and fro throughout the whole earth. And then two olive trees, uh, and on the right side of the candlestick and on the left side thereof, it's almost like these two spikes or two things coming out. Now, again... There's Calvary, and there's, well, I mean, here's some two-ness for you. There's Sinai, and there's Calvary. There's law, but then grace. There's the empty tomb, and then there's Pentecost. And I don't, Bert, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize too much here, but so much of what God does, like you said, creation and uh, salvation. Um, and let me just say this, and I'll throw it back to you, but there's a there's a two-sided coin in your own life, dear believer. There's the miracle of conversion, but then there's the lifelong work of sanctification. There's your salvation that happens when you accept Jesus. But then there's this, for the rest of your life, sanctification. You grow in the Lord. Now, if you're a believer, you've attended to point number one, I hope, putting your faith in Jesus. But what about growth? What about sanctification? That's one side of the equation that we dare not overlook. Am I right? You are right. When you have two, you either have contrast or complement, one or the other, or both and. And so you want to walk with the Lord. That number, by the way, 888-589-8840. Give us a call. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. See, we don't have to engage in psychological brainwashing techniques and all this nonsense that the left traffic's in because they're godless, for the most part. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, that's how we fight. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. 
Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. We live in an era currently where spirituality is in vogue. Christ following is not. Some even claim to love Jesus while simultaneously rebelling against his word and encouraging others to rebel similarly. But Jesus said it himself, If you love me, you will obey me. Whoever does not love me does not obey my words. Make no mistake about it. To love Jesus is to obey him. You cannot love Jesus and disobey him. If you're living in open rebellion against Jesus' word, you're not following Jesus as he's revealed himself in Scripture. You're following a God you've created. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 28, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. These last two years, we faced waves of crisis. First COVID-19, and now even more COVID-19. There's been financial crisis, social and political crises. If you rely on your emotions to lead you through every wave of crisis, you'll feel pretty wobbly. Becoming a mature believer who is grounded in the truth of God's Word is the key to being emotionally stable in crisis. So prayerfully embrace God's Word in every situation. Then you won't be tossed about by emotions, but you'll be able to stand strong. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. You're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. All glory and honor to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And you know, this is the part of the program where we take your Bible questions. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And I see the call board populating now. Calls are coming in. If you've got a Bible question, we would be honored to hear from you. Uh, Bert, while people call in and we get the call board situated, uh, I want to remind people, Bert and I wrote a book, came out about a month ago, called 100 Bible Questions and Answers. And uh, I don't want to be uh, proud in the the, the <laughs> sinful sense, but right. I'm proud of this, Bert. Pr- pride, I'm, I'm very pleased pride. with it. Thankful pride. That's, that's, I, there's a difference. Yes, yeah. I'm so pleased. And, folks, you helped create this book with your Bible questions over the first decade of this show. And if you go to the AFA store, you can find it. Also, if you look online or even in a bookstore, let me encourage you to ask for it at your local bookstores because any bookstore can get it or they might have it. It was published by Broad Street uh, out of Minnesota, Broad Street Publishing. And um, we worked on this thing, and, and I, you'll, I'll put it this way. If you get the book, Bert and I did, 100 Bibles, Questions and Answers, you will not be disappointed. Is that fair to say, Bert? I will say that. I've talked to several people who have started reading it. It's not one you have to start at the front and go to the back. You can go through and see the different areas of questions and then go look to a specific question, and you can read that, whether it's in the front or the back. And uh, I've talked to several people. They're really enjoying it. They're using it as a guide in their study privately. Some are using it in their small groups. And so they're, it's being used for the glory of God, and we thank God for that. So if you can purchase that book, get that book, uh, 
we think it will help you. Uh, we wouldn't have done it had we not. And the ultimate is give God the glory. That's the whole purpose, that people would know Amen. Christ and give him glory. So, yeah, by the way, Amen. we do have two or three lines that are open right now. But, Alex, so we can take some phone calls. We're going to try to answer as many as we can, aren't we? We are. At first, we're going to go to Texas and speak with Janet in Texas. Janet, you are the first caller of the week on Exploring the Word. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, I know the other day y'all had some people call in and y'all had some prayer. Well, I have a prayer request. Um, My little great-niece, she just turned six months old yesterday, and she had she was crying and crying and first see my my niece her mama is a surgical tech and so after she had little lizzie her name is elizabeth baby elizabeth but she had uh taken my niece was trying to make sure she got her in the right deck here just to make sure it's the healthiest and everything well there was a little strep throat going on she got that and they took her to a pediatrician and she kept crying. They were doing everything they could for her, even taking her to a hospital in another town, bigger town. They'd done all the things, and she had to go to a specialty hospital. And uh, they found out through the MRI that she has a genetic disorder, a very rare one. And they called in the team of specialists. I assume possibly, I don't know, maybe from Mayo Clinic somewhere. They called them in from somewhere for what they were seeing. And they said, for sure, it's a very rare form of a genetic disorder disease. And uh, the doctor told my brother, said, this is his first grandbaby. And um, he said, of all my studies and of all my research, he said, this is only the third case that I've ever seen with this this form of gene, this Mm. genetic and so, Alex, and yeah. the only way that little Lizzie, they call her Lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-I-E, because short for Elizabeth, but the only way I know that she is going to be totally healed is by the healing touch of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to pray for her, Janet. Those of you that are listening that has a pen and paper or wherever you can do it, put Lizzie down and, we and did, did pray she for say it. six months old six months old this genetic disorder and mm. six months old and the first granddaughter I, I after having three sons and then our first grandchild was a granddaughter uh man i just it, i it it grips your heart beyond measure so alex thank janet for calling and would yeah. you be the one leading in, in this prayer brother Let's pray, and and folks across America, join with us, if you would. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you are a God who answers prayer. And Lord, you are a God who is in control, even even when we're concerned, or if, if our hearts are breaking, Lord, you still are in control. First of all, I thank you for Janet calling in today, and may the Spirit of God bless and give her comfort. And I pray for this precious, wonderful little girl, Elizabeth also known as Lizzie, six months old. Dear Jesus, would you please undertake? And Lord, we know you could do a miracle. We ask for that. In the name of Jesus, we ask for a miracle of complete healing. And Lord, whether you work through the hand of the doctors, uh, Lord, maybe these doctors would learn some things and do some research, and even in healing Lizzie could help some other child at some future point. We don't know. We don't know all the reasons But, Father God, we give it to you, and we thank you in advance. And, dear Jesus, please undertake for Elizabeth, for Janet, for the whole family, and let us hear a great praise report at some time down the road, and we commit it to you, and we do this, believing you, rejoicing in you, because we have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Janet. Well, uh, praise the Lord. It's good we can pray together. We're going to go to Nick. Nick in Mississippi, good to have you, my friend. Welcome. Hey there. Um, I debated on asking this question either open-ended or giving you guys my, you know, my understanding of it uh, through God's God's word first. But uh, I'll, what are what are y'all thoughts on first, on that First Corinthians uh, 
14, 34, and 35. Is, is this, uh, and I know it has to be handled with care and with love, but love and truth. And, uh, and I'm asking because, you know, my pastor, he's, he's been really good about, uh, you know, does expository sermons and it's just taking each book of the Bible word for word and going through it. And, um, and I love him. And Anthony, if you're listening, brother, I, I do love you. This is nothing against you, but I feel like, I feel like the text says what it says. I don't feel like this is a case where it's it's a cultural thing. I think we can, you know, rightly divide it in a, in a loving way and understand it. What are y'all's thoughts? Okay, this scripture <laughs> is talking about women. Let me just read it. But I I would say this before I do: you've uh, when you're looking at specific scriptures, you got to look at the where it's found. You got to look at the book that it's found in. Look at the material before and after. See see what all's going on. It does help you to have a clearer understanding rather than taking that one or two verses and say, okay, this is it. Now, that may be it. I, Alex, sometimes it is it. But sometimes that the context where it's taken before and after and in helps you to have clarity. Let me read that again, 34 and 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but they are all to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Alex, again, look, if you would, at this chapter. It is uh, The whole book of Corinthians is just about correction, things that they had going on. And here in chapter 14 is no difference they're talking about they're arguing about what gifts are better they're saying this about some being silent if they don't have an interpreter they're talking about the psalms it says when you come together each one of you has a psalm there there was competition going on there wasn't there do you remember in titus chapter 1 verse 5 paul had said about titus he said i left you in crete that you should set things in order the things that are lacking. Um, let, let me just say this, and I believe me, I realize, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and 35, let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. For they are commanded to be under obedience or submission, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Now, Bert, if there is any scripture that would cause heads to explode among the politically correct people of today. Goodness, this would be it, wouldn't it? Now, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. I do not allow a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over a man. Let me, I'm going to say this briefly. Um, Norm Geisler, he's in heaven, and goodness, if ever there was a conservative, by the letter of the law guy, and by the way, John MacArthur would agree with what I'm going to say as well. Um, the, I think one of the keys to understanding 1 Corinthians 14 is to also understand the 1 Timothy 2, 12, not usurp authority. Um, there, there had to be order. Um, Bert, I'm not, I'm not so sure this means that females can't teach or be used, but the senior pastor is male the deacons and elders are male. There's got to be order. Um, and in Corinth, I mean, you've got to understand in so much of the ancient world, cities like Ephesus, Ephesus and Corinth were very carnal cities. Um, there was not the order of husbands and wives and family and moral boundaries. And, and I think, and we could unpack this more, at the very least, what the Holy Spirit of God was saying through the Apostle Paul was that the, the work of the church and the teaching of the Word should be orderly. And it doesn't mean that men are better. It doesn't mean that women are inferior. But spiritual leadership and organizational leadership in God's church begins with the men. Alex, I would agree with that fully. It's not only in the church, the home. Uh, I heard Tony Evans preaching a sermon this past Sunday. It's one he had preached earlier. But it was talking about kingdom men. And if men yes. would step up and be what they're supposed to be in homes, 
uh, in marriages, in homes, in churches, in nations, this world would be a lot better off. So what happened in Philippi when Lydia seemed to be the, the leader of that group? It seemed like there was not men. You know you didn't have 10 Jewish men because they would have had a synagogue. We find out Priscilla and Aquila, God used them both, but it seems like Priscilla was serving with Aquila, or Aquila, however you want to say that. And again, I agree with you. It's not necessarily they shouldn't speak because, listen, I've heard too many. Uh, K. Arthur, I've heard Bertha Smith, uh, so many women that just, uh, listen, Billy Graham said that he nor Franklin was the best preachers in their in their family. Uh, he said it was his wife, his uh, sister. And, uh, you know, that's what Billy Graham yeah. said. So there's a place. I don't think it's not saying don't say a word, but I do think it has the idea of leadership, Alex. I agree with you. Uh, yes. And so thanks for that call. Let's uh, see if we can get a couple more questions in. Uh, Brandon in North Carolina. Brandon, welcome. i got to ask, what part of North Carolina are you in, brother? Um, it's around Statesville, Hickory area. Oh, I know on I-40 kind of getting towards the western part of the state. I bet the, the leaves on the trees are, are beautiful okay. about now, aren't they? You there? Uh, time of year, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah, uh, okay, you, and your Brandon. question. Uh, my question is um, fairly simple, but maybe complex. Is there blood in heaven? That's a great question. Alex? Bert, you, you remember Hebrews nine twelve? by his own blood, blood. he entered into the holy place. Sprinkling. Having, what did they do in the ark? They would sprinkle the blood of the, the sacrifice. On, on the mercy seat, yeah. wasn't it? And uh, there is, whether you call it a replica or the real thing, the, the, the earthly tabernacle and, and temple was a representation of the glory of God in heaven. And so yeah. I believe that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat that we'd have in heaven, Alex. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, that, you know, John one twenty nine. remember um, uh, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think after dying and rising, he presented his blood there in heaven uh, to show that the atonement had been paid for. Let's. Uh, we're going to have to hurry, but I want to go to Missouri. And Sheila in Missouri. Sheila, what's your question, sister? Well, recently there was two children, um, 13, 12 years old, somewhere around in that age, but they basically grew up in a um, non-believing, atheistic type atmosphere. So they just recently came to this area uh, because I think their parents had passed away or whatever, anybody they came to live with a relative. But I was wondering if the book that you guys just um, published, The 100 Questions, if there would be questions in there and answers that would possibly help with these children. They usually do because they have the same questions people ask. If I were doing it, I'll tell you this real quick, and you take us out, Alex. I would get it, and I would look to see which ones you think they might would help and highlight them and then give them the book But mm. uh, because they could spend a lot of time just trying to figure it out. If you highlight it, I think it would help. Go ahead, Alex. Well, yes, I would agree. I, I think everybody would enjoy it because, uh, hey, I just met a fifth grader who said he listens to Exploring the Word every single day, and uh Children of all ages, people of all ages. So, folks, if you want to read ahead, we're going to wrap up Zechariah tomorrow, maybe read chapters 5 and following. And uh, get your Bible questions ready because we'll be back again tomorrow, good Lord willing. We thank you. We thank you for listening. May God bless you. Tell somebody about the American Family Radio Network. Most of all, though, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.